You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Kirk McKenzie. Well, as mentioned, we are talking about King Solomon today. Now, he can be a challenging guy to relate to because he's such an exaggerated person. He's so big in the way he lived his life. He was known as the wisest and greatest leader in the known world during his period leading the nation of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never really been the best at anything. Like I've been good at some stuff during my life, but I've never been the best. You know, I've never really been elite at anything. And so it's hard to relate to someone who was just known at being the best at almost everything that he did. And so it's tempting when we go through this series and we look at the life of Solomon and we try and learn from the way he lived and his relationship with God to just go, I can't really relate to this guy. Maybe I don't have anything to learn from him. And or to just go, you know, well, at least I'm not as bad as him, you know, or, you know, I don't need to learn anything from him because he's just too far out of my league. But what I encourage us to do is to go, actually, sometimes exaggerated versions of sort of normal life can be useful because we can see what can happen when things go to the extreme. And we go, well, we've got, a, most of us are going to have a smaller version of life than Solomon had, but we can start small and we can go, well, I'm not going to have as much power as Solomon or as much wisdom or wealth as Solomon, but I'm going to have some of that stuff. And so what can I do with a small amount and what can, uh, what can I do with that? And so then I'm going to learn the lessons from what Solomon did with a large amount of it and try and apply it to a small amount. So that's what I want to encourage us to have in our minds today as we look at 1 Kings chapter 10 and the story of Solomon's life that we find in that particular chapter of the Bible. Now, as mentioned, what I'm just going to do today, I'm basically going to tell us the story. I'm going to fill in a little bit of the background as we go. And then at the end, I'm going to share a personal reflection. And what I'd encourage you to do is share your own personal reflection at the end of today's service. Uh, particularly if you're watching with other people, you can just turn to the person next to you and share your own reflection. Uh, if you're watching by yourself, I encourage you to find someone else who's watched the service as well and have a chat with them. Uh, and if you don't know anyone else who's watching the service, maybe you're really new, encourage you to hit up our website and hit that connect button so you can get connected with us and meet someone who's a part of our church. Now, before God's people were in, uh, organizing themselves as the church, which is the way we organize ourselves now, they were organized as a nation, the nation of Israel. And God had given the nation a really clear purpose right at the beginning of their life as a nation when he was getting them started. He got uh, Abraham and Sarah, this couple, to be the parents of the nation. And when he was talking to Abraham about what the purpose was going to be, he was very clear, and we can read about that right near the start of the Bible in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. God said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So he set apart a piece of land for them to settle in. And then he said, 
I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So God's going to make them great by blessing them. But not only that, that that blessing is going to overflow to the people around them. And he goes on, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. So there's some protection going on there. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So again, this idea of God's blessing overflowing to the people around them, in fact, to all the nations of the earth. So it's not just that God's going to take his nation and then sort of separate them off and they're going to be their own little thing and getting blessed over here and everyone else is kind of going to be oblivious to it and not really realize what's going on. No, the idea is that they're going to see what God's doing amongst his nation, Israel, and they're going to experience God's blessing because of what God's doing amongst his people. And then really the Old Testament is showing us the history of God's nation and the ups and downs of them living out that purpose. Sometimes they were doing it pretty well and sometimes they weren't really living out that purpose very well at all. Now, during the time of the kings, uh, King David, Solomon's father, had some pretty good moments, certainly not perfect, but, you know, at times you go, oh, okay, that original purpose of the nation of Israel seems to be living out pretty well here under David's leadership. And by the time we get to his son Solomon, things to be seem to be going really well. Now, I should point out that the purpose of the church, uh, the, the church has got some clear differences to the nation, but that idea of the blessing of God overflowing to people who are outside of the church, not members of the church yet, that continues. So again, the church is not meant to be like separate and private and just, you know, doing our own thing. We are also meant to uh, allow God's blessings to overflow to everyone and for everyone to experience God's goodness through the work of the church. So that continues. So let's have a look at this chapter 10 of one King of the book of 1 Kings, where this purpose of the nation being blessed and that blessing overflowing seems to reach a real high point. And so um, it starts off with a visit from the Queen of Sheba, and we'll have a look at it in a bit of detail. Verse 1, when the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Now remember, rumours were he was the wisest and greatest king in the known world. And the Queen of Sheba, she's sceptical about this. So she's come to test him. Arriving at Jerusalem with a great caravan, and this is not a caravan you attach to the back of your car and go camping in. This is a caravan as in people all travelling a great distance in a line. Uh, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones. So we can assume from this that Sheba is not a poverty-stricken nation, that they've got a bit of wealth going on at this point. Uh, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, 
she was overwhelmed. She goes on to say that not only has he passed the test and you know lived up to the rumours about him, she said, no, you've exceeded all expectations. People have told me stuff about how good you are and how great you are. You're way better than that. <laughs> you are by far the greatest and wisest leader in the known world. She's extremely impressed. And in verse 8, she says, how happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. She's saying, how great must it be to be these people who work with you, who get to hang out with you every day and just soak up the wisdom. This must be the best job in the world to just be working with you and experiencing what it's like to meet with you day by day. They got an awesome job. Verse 9, she says this, and this is really important. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Now that's so significant because she is not just identifying that Solomon's really awesome as a person, as a human. She's identified that it's God's goodness, it's God's love that is at work here through Solomon. That it's actually God who's gifted him with this wisdom. It's God who's made him a great leader and it's God's love that's motivating all this. God is the source of all this good stuff that's going on in the nation of Israel. This is what was meant to happen. You know, that it was God's blessings that would overflow. And Queen of Sheba, this just leader from another nation, has come in and identified that that is what's really going on. It reminds me of what one of the New Testament writers uh, hopes would happen when people visit the church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 that he hopes that when people visit a church meeting that they would look around and see what's going on and experience the church and say, God is truly among you. Not how awesome is this church building or how great is this digital service or how awesome are these people, but that God is truly among you. And this is the type of experience that the Queen of Sheba has as she visits the nation of Israel, God's nation. And this has led many people and many biblical scholars and just many Christians to argue that this chapter this first part of 1 Kings chapter 10 is the very high point of the history of the nation of Israel. This is when they're achieving their mission. This is when they're achieving their purpose as God's people better than at any other point during the history of their existence, or at least what we've got written down in the Bible. If you think about it, they're at peace. They're not at war with any of the other nations. The blessings that God are giving them are huge and they are overflowing to the nations around them. It's If you're in good relationship with Israel and it seemed like most of the nations were, it was awesome. You, you just experienced wonderful things being in great relationship with Israel. And what's more, we have other nations like Sheba acknowledging that it's God's goodness that is leading to this wonderful experience, to this great blessing. Everyone's a winner in this scenario. And I've got to say, in my reading of the Bible, I have to agree. I can't think, I'm, I mean, I'm open to other suggestions, but 
this does seem to be the high point of Israel's history. So if that is the high point in the first half of the chapter, the second half of the chapter is the beginning of a slide down to, let's just say, a lower point. Now, if you skim read the second half of the chapter, you might miss that, actually, because it's a list. And let's be honest, uh, when we read lists in the Old Testament, we tend to skim them. <laughs> we tend to just go, oh, it's a list. I'll just uh, blow past that and get back to the story bits. And so if you just look at it, you go, oh, this seems to be a list of Solomon's wealth, uh, to some of his stuff, armory, list of army stuff, some exotic animals and his business, blah, 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 move on. Wouldn't blame you for skim reading it because, you know, the list can get long and a bit difficult to read and you just want to get back to the story stuff. But if we look at it a bit more carefully, if we get into the detail of it, some alarm bells will go off. Now, particularly if you know your Old Testament really well and you've got into the, the, the depths of the Old Testament, then the alarm bells will really go off. Now, I understand some of you won't have you know, a lot of experience with the Old Testament. It'll depend on how long you've been reading the Bible. Don't worry. I've done the research for us. Let me uh, point out a few things that we need to be concerned about. The first thing comes in the, in the first part of the, 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 sec the, second, the, section, the second section of the chapter. Verse 14. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. Now that's about 25 tons of gold, which is a lot, right? And you might go, oh, that's heaps. That's heaps of gold, impressive. But as well as it being a lot, we've got to take note of the number, 666. Does that number ring a bell to you? It's been picked up in popular culture as what some people might refer to as the devil's number or Satan's number or the evil number. And partly that's because of this reference right here in 1 Kings chapter 10. Now, it's not referencing the devil's number right here. This was written thousands of years ago, but it's been sort of picked up since then, but it started back here. Let me give you the context of it. Ancient writers used numbers symbolically. We don't tend to do that as much in Australian culture. It's not really a thing that we do. We tend to like bookkeeping and getting the figures right so that they all add up mathematically. Ancient writers were less concerned with that sort of thing. It's just the way they used numbers was quite different. So the writer of One Kings here, not concerned about getting it exactly right. 666 talents was the exact measurement each year or the exact average. It's not what they're concerned about. They're concerned about using the numbers much more symbolically to give us meaning. It's just the way they wrote. And so the number six in Jewish culture was connected with the weakness and the sinfulness of human beings or the wrongdoing of human beings. So when you put three sixes together, that's really emphasizing that there's a problem here, that Solomon's gold was leading him into weakness and into wrongdoing in a big, big, big way. So this sentence here about the gold is giving us a big warning that accumulating this amount of gold was a big 
problem. It's got nothing to do with getting the measurements exactly right and everything to do with alerting us as a reader that this amount of gold was leading Solomon down a bad path. So now we read the rest of the list with our eyes open. It's like, oh, okay, what's coming next? We read about him making all these shields out of the gold. He's building up his armory. And you go, oh, okay, you know, well, kings need to sort of get their military sorted out. But if we think about his father, David, who was a pretty good king, but he, God did criticise him for a couple of things, for, for, for a few different things. One of the things God criticised David for was being a warmonger. Far too many battles, far too many conflicts with other nations. So the idea that Solomon's going to be building his armoury makes me a little bit nervous. Then in verses 18 to 20, we see that Solomon's building a really big, fancy, expensive throne for himself. Okay, king's got a big throne. Again, if you skim reading, you might just blow past this. But if you're the king who is God's servant and the servant of God's people, should you be doing that? Should you be building a really massive, expensive throne for yourself? Or is this a bit like one of our modern day politicians catching a helicopter to a party, you know, traveling from Melbourne to Geelong in a helicopter to attend a party instead of driving an hour down the road like a normal person? Is it an abuse of power? Then we read that in verse 22, he's collecting exotic animals like apes and baboons. Now these aren't, and he's importing them in from other nations. Now these aren't animals that are useful for farming, for food, for clothes. These are just probably going to be for the king's private zoo. So we start to get concerned that this is mainly about Solomon and not really about serving his people. And then when we get to verse 26 to 29, again, if we know our Old Testament, and particularly one chapter from Deuteronomy chapter 17, we can see some big, obvious problems. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God was getting the nation really organised and he's giving them some extra commands. And he gave them some commands for when they had a king. They didn't have a king at that point, but he said, when you have a king, here's some do's and don'ts for what the king should and shouldn't do. And let me give you some, oh, to summarise it for us. One thing he said for the king not to do he said, King, don't get a great number of horses. And when and don't send your people back to Egypt to get them. Now, presumably, you know, horses are used for war. God's not a fan of the king, you know, getting ready for war and getting into all these big fights with other nations. And don't go back to Egypt because that's where God's people have been in slavery for a long time. God was not a fan of them returning back to being in that slavery mindset. So what did Solomon do? Let's see. Verse 26. Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. Where did he get them from? Verse 28. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Ku. So strike one, direct violation of God's very specific specific commands to the king of God's nation, which Solomon is. Let's have a look at another one. Uh, verse 17 of Deuteronomy 17 says, 
the king must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Now, spoiler alert for chapter 11, he did do that, like to a mind-boggling degree. We'll get into that next week, uh, but whoa, did he violate that one, like spectacularly. So strike two. Let's have a look at the third one, uh, second half of that verse in Deuteronomy 17. The king must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. We've already seen he's getting like 25 tons of gold for himself every year. What about silver? Verse 27, uh, the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. <laughs> There's so much silver that it's completely lost its worth. <laughs> so strike three on that one. Six, six, six. In fact, in Deuteronomy, God summarizes all the do's and don'ts with this sentence. The king must not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Now, actually, our author in 1 Kings chapter 10 doesn't specifically say that Solomon has gone off the rails, just lists off bunch of things that Solomon's been doing. But I would like to suggest to us today that they are not too subtly hinting that he's lost the plot, that he's heading down a bad path, and that Solomon is starting to think, I am great, rather than God is great that he's no longer serving the people that God has equipped him to serve. He's starting to serve himself. This chapter starts off with Israel at the high point, under Solomon's leadership, using the gifts that God has given him. But the chapter finishes with the nation starting to slide under Solomon's leadership. And we will see in chapter 11 that our author gets more opinionated and starts to get specific in their critique of Solomon's leadership. And we'll look at that in more detail next week. So for me, my reflection on this chapter is, okay, a challenge here is how do we stay humble and how do we stay obedient when we receive good things, when we receive things like, well, potentially good things anyway. What do we do when we receive things like power, when we receive things like wealth, when we receive things like praise? Now, of course, many of us are not going to receive them to the anywhere near the level that Solomon did, but we will get them to a certain degree. So what do we do when we're you know, with power, like when we get given a leadership position or we become a parent or uh, we get given a promotion or you become an older brother or sister or you just find yourself in a social situation being given a bit more power. How are we going to respond? Are we gonna, how are we going to stay humble and obedient when we receive those things? What about with wealth? Maybe you'll become a really wealthy person in your life. Maybe you won't. But what will you do when you get your first job and you start getting more money or a pay rise or an inheritance? 
Or what about when you just receive a compliment? <laughs> you know, and people tell you, well done, or you're good at that. How are we going to stay humble and obedient when we receive these things? For me, the verse I'm going to reflect on to help um, guide me with these things is verse 24. Because while the author's listing off all these things that Solomon has uh, been doing and accumulating, the author says this, the whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. See, the Queen of Sheba was able to identify that it wasn't just because Solomon was really awesome that he was able to lead the way he was. She identified that it was because God was good, that God was the source of this greatness of the, the nation of Israel. And so a reminder for me is when that everything comes from God, all things that we have, especially all the good things that we have, come from God. And so when I receive those things in my life, I want to stay humble by remembering that. And that's going to be the challenge for me. Uh, and that's my reflection today. As I said, I encourage you to share your reflections uh, as we finish the service today. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.